Welcome to week number one in our brand new series kicking off today called Future Family. And uh, we're going to be in this series right up until Easter Sunday. Uh, and we'll have obviously something uh, different to talk about uh, on Easter Sunday. But um, I, I thought how important it would be, you know, from time to time we try to do that here at, at Valley Christian Church uh, to just talk about family to talk about marriage because there's, there's nothing more practical as a follower of Jesus Christ than those two topics. So uh, we're here now in Future Family as we kick off this series. And you know the truth is every one of us, we get to pick our friends, uh, but we don't get to pick our families. We're just kind of uh, uh, stuck with uh, who it is that we end up uh, being family to. And family relationships can actually be some of the most challenging relationships that, that you and I will ever face. Uh, and at the same time, uh, when, when done right, when done the way that, that God wants us to do family relationships, the fact about the matter is there's some of the most rewarding relationships that we'll ever experience in this life. That being said, it's important to know no one's family is perfect. No one has a perfect family. And, and well, I'm sorry, maybe you do. <laughs> I don't know. My family is not perfect. Uh, but, but the reality is no one's family uh, is really perfect. And, and this was kind of brought home to me recently. Uh, my wife Susie and I, our oldest daughter, Michaela, uh, is a junior in college now. And she's taking a, a class about marriage and family at Liberty University. And so she's asking us some questions, all this. And, and immediately I was like, oh, no. It's like the, the mask is going to be ripped off and she's going to realize my family's not so perfect after all uh, because we're, we're not. None of us are. I mean, the Williamsons, we put the word fun in dysfunctional. So, uh, you know, none of us are, are perfect at all. Uh, and, and sometimes we even ask, well, what's the use? Is it even uh, worth the time trying to uh, grow to or become some sort of ideal when it comes to family. And as we kick off this series, today's really an introductory message. I want to talk to you just a second about next week. Uh, next week, we're going to look at uh, what I would call a game changer. Uh, one question, one simple question, that, that when we use this question in our marriage, when we ask this question in our parenting, in our family, it, it has the potential to be a complete game changer, a complete transformation happen when we ask this one game changer uh, question. And that's what we're going to look at uh, next week. But as we start this series today, I, I want to share with you a, a few undisputable facts about family. A few undisputable facts about family. Uh, you may not know my family so well. I may not know your family so well. Uh, but these are, I think, facts that every one of us can agree on, whether our family is a healthy family or unhealthy. These are just some that Every one of us uh, would agree to these undisputable facts about the family. Here's the first one. Uh, the term father, mother, son, and daughter are never emotionally neutral. They're never emotionally neutral. In, in fact, you just say uh, father, and for many of us, it's like, ah. Uh, for many of us, it's a, there's emotion tied to every one of these terms. And so that being said, I recognize that. And as we walk our way through this series, I realize there are landmines because of uh, the emotion that's tied to these, these terms, these titles, if you will. But God's going to give us grace, and we're going to walk through it and really discover what he wants our family to look like in the future. 
Maybe it's not what it looks like right now, but it can be different. God can transform it for the future, and that's the the whole purpose of this message series is future family. Here's the second undisputable fact about family. No one you are related to is as smart as you are. Now just think about that for a minute. How many times have we had something comes up in the family like, if everyone just saw it the way I saw it, everything would be fine? Because we don't say it out loud, but many of us believe like, I have the smartest IQ of anyone in my family. And, and if my parents would just see it the way I see it, if, if my siblings would just agree with me, everything would be fine. Isn't it funny how we all kind of feel that way? I, I, I know what's best. Doesn't matter if I'm a father, doesn't matter if I'm a son, it, it doesn't matter what role I'm in, it may be even son-in-law, brother-in-law, I know what's best for everyone in my family. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Here's the third undisputable fact about family. We have clear instructions in the Bible, but no great examples. In fact, you read through the pages of Scripture, every family is crazy messed up. We have all kinds of real practical instructions, particularly in the New Testament, but we really don't have any great examples to follow. It'd be a lot easier if we did. I mean, think about Adam and Eve, the first family. Not only did they plunge all of humanity into sin because of their disobedience, their two sons, one kills, murders the next. Noah, he's the first recorded instance of drunkenness in the Bible. Think about Abraham, the father of our faith, and Sarah. Some of you know the story of Abraham. He, he's so worried because Sarah's beautiful and they need to go back to Egypt. I won't tell that whole story right now, but, but he tells Sarah, he says, listen, any of those Egyptian guys, they start looking at you, they're gonna recognize you're beautiful, tell them you're my sister. Tell them you're my sister because I'm so afraid. Listen, I'll uh, tell you a little story here. Most men don't want their wife to tell anyone, oh, he's my sister. When Susie and I were dating, I remember early on when, when we fell in love in college, at one point uh, we had a serious discussion, and she, she told me, she said, you know, I feel a lot more like your sister than your girlfriend. Well, this is not what any man wants to hear from the woman that he loves. And, and I realized in a, in, a, in a very pointed way, she was saying, it's time for you to step up or... This is not going to be a very long relationship. Well, after almost 25 years of marriage, I guess you know what happened there. But, but this is not what any man wants to hear. You know, I feel more like your sister than your girlfriend. Abraham encourages his wife, tell everyone you're my sister. This is messed up. Then, of course, we have David. David, uh, miserable failure of a father. His children, one murders another, one rapes another. I mean, just awful. We have terrible, we have clear instructions in the Bible, but we don't have any great examples. That's why a series like this is so important. And and while some of the instructions we're going to look at in the Scripture sounds old-fashioned to us, they actually, these instructions in the New Testament that we're going to look at actually were futuristic and really unrealistic to the original hearers in the first century. When, when you do a little study of history uh, of the Greek and Roman culture, it was absolutely messed up. What's shocking is, 2,000 years later, 
our culture in the world today is very, very close to the Roman and Greek culture 2,000 years ago. And as unrealistic as the New Testament may seem to be when it talks about family, it was just as unrealistic when it was originally spoken and originally written. But do you know what happened? Followers of Jesus Christ realized this seems unrealistic, but as a follower of Christ, I'm going to follow his instructions rather than what I think is best. And it transformed their culture. And it transformed their society. One, one common practice, for instance, in Roman and Greek uh, culture was baby boys were valued more than baby girls. In fact, it was completely legal if you had, if, if, if your wife gave birth to a baby girl and you didn't want that baby girl, just throw the baby out in the street. Completely legal. Happened often. Because baby boys were more preferred to carry the name for the inheritance for all those different things. And we say, that's shocking, that's so terrible. Have you read the news lately? Just this past week, in the United Kingdom, a new law was rejected, rejected, that would ban sex selection abortions. In other words, the law was up that, that it's illegal to have an abortion because you don't like the sex of your child, the gender of the child that's going to be born. And it was struck down by a vote of 292 to 201. Because now we can determine what the sex is of a child and many choose to abort based on the gender of the child. Sounds a lot like 2,000 years ago. Instead of throwing the baby out in the street to die, just take care of it in the office. Christians 2,000 years ago took seriously the instructions of Scripture, although it seemed too ideal, too, too unrealistic, and they followed the instructions of Scripture, and it transformed the culture, and it transformed the world in really one generation's time. And so what I would want to do right now is just there's so much in the New Testament and, and even in this series, we're going to go deep, uh, but, but there's, there's still so much. I want to give just in this message today uh, talking about back to the future. So we kind of got to go back if we're going to go forward. Uh, some summary snapshots of scriptures that have to do with marriage and family in the Bible. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just a few that, that I wanted to show and look at today that give us kind of the 30-foot view of what God says. This is the way family's supposed to look. This is the way marriages are supposed to function. And so the first one is this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. It says, so again I say, each man must love his wife. That's what we as husbands are supposed to do. Love our wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So really, really practical, where the rubber meets the road, instructions to Christians, husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then in 1 Peter, it gives a little bit more, again, 30,000 foot view of husband and wife relationship. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. I love that. Treat your wife with understanding. You know why? Because it takes a lifetime to really begin to understand a woman, to, for a man to understand a wife. 
doesn't happen overnight. And so, again, 2,000 years ago, God knew he created family. He's the originator. He knows how it works best. And he says to husbands, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. And it goes on, it says, she may be weaker than you are. That's talking about physically. Most wives are physically, not all, but most are, are weaker than their husbands. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And it says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. How about that? God says to husbands, maybe the reason why our prayers aren't being answered is we're not treating our wife the way we're supposed to. Pretty amazing there. And then let's look at children. Children to parents in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through two. Again, these are summary snapshot scriptures. We're just hitting quickly here today. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For a child, it shows that I am a follower of Jesus Christ by my obedience to my parents when I'm a child. And then it says, for this is right thing to do, and it quotes now from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And you can go on and read that for yourself in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3. It says that you may live a long life on the earth. We determine our life expectancy according to God based on how, as children, we obeyed our parents or we didn't. Well, there's one to make you think, especially if you're a child listening to this, younger teenager or something like that today. Pretty amazing. And then here's the last one I want to look at, looking at father-to-child relationship in this summary snapshots of Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. And we're going to talk about some of these themes. We're going to look at some of these themes in this series, uh, and that's why we're taking a number of weeks to do it, to go a little deeper. But for our sake today, uh, Let me just say this, for a father, you know the number one thing that aggravates your child more than anything else that causes them to become discouraged? Inconsistency. It frustrates a child quicker than anything else, just being inconsistent, unreliable. Enough said about that. So so let me just kind of blend these verses, summarize what these verses are saying to us today. It says, husbands, love your wife and be considerate to her. Wives, Respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. Real, real practical, godly advice from Scripture, from God himself who created family. It wasn't humanity's idea, God's idea. He created the first family. And he knows what the ideal really is. Sometimes it it really does sound old-fashioned to us, doesn't it? Maybe antiquated and, you know, we think, oh, this, these, these verses, someone, that could only be real or realized in, in a perfect world. And we all know this world is not perfect. We all know that this world is so less than ideal. So, you know, uh, well, why even shoot for that? Well, it's interesting when you read the New Testament, particularly the Gospels uh, that deal with the life of Jesus and his words and his life, Jesus always taught unreachable ideals while never condemning people when they missed them. Let me say that again. Jesus always taught unreachable ideals. He didn't water things down. He didn't dumb things down. He always taught unreachable ideals while he never condemned people when they missed them. 
when they did miss the ideal that God had, he extended grace. But he never said, that's okay, don't shoot for that, don't try for that, that's just too much. He never took that approach. And isn't it true, as parents, every one of us wants to see our children go beyond us, wants to see our, our, our family be better and go beyond what, what we've done, what we've experienced. Now, I don't, I don't know any, uh, any person who's walked through divorce, heartbreaking, crisis tragedy that it is. I, I've never heard parents say, boy, I, I hope when my son grows up, he gets a divorce as well. Of course not. What, what, does, a, what does a single parent wish? My, my hope is that my children get married and they live happily ever after. That's what every parent hopes for, that our children have better experience, a better life. How does that happen? It only happens by shooting for the ideal, not for something less than that, not by lowering the bar, not by lowering the standard. And you see this all throughout Scripture. Again, Jesus always teaching what, what, what seemed like unrealistic ideal. And when people fall short of it, extending grace to them and saying, now try again by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. Here's an example of it in Matthew chapter five uh, where, where Jesus teaches the ideal. He doesn't water it down at all. Look at what happens. He says in Matthew chapter five, verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, he's talking about in the Old Testament, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He's, he's quoting, see that it's in quote there, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And so he said, this is what you've heard, thou shalt not murder, you shall not murder. Then he goes on and he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He says, if you're just angry, you've already murdered them in your heart. He doesn't water that down. He, he doesn't kind of like, uh, pressure's off, God's not really concerned about that any longer. He always says, this is what the unrealistic standard is, this is what the standard is, and yet when people fall short of it, he extends grace to them. He extends grace to them. But he's always challenging us, this is what God's standard is even though it may seem old-fashioned, even though it may seem unrealistic. Now let's look at what he talks about in terms of marriage. There's a time when uh, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, came to him and they're trying to trap him. And he does this exact same thing again. He says, this is what the standard is. As unrealistic as this seems, this ideal, God's ideal, this is what his ideal is. It's pretty insightful when we look at his words Matthew chapter 19, because they'd heard Jesus talking about marriage and, and divorce and remarriage and all these different things, and they come to try to trap him. Look at what happens here in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with the question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now let's stop right there. It's pretty interesting that in the Old Testament, um, God did allow divorce and, and the, the, the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law, they just continued to expand that uh, parameters of where, when divorce was legal or not to the point that at the time of Jesus, listen to this, this is pretty shocking, 
A man could divorce his wife if she burnt dinner. If she messed up the meal, that was grounds for legal divorce in Judaism 2,000 years ago. And I know for some of you ladies, you're like, oh my goodness, you gotta be kidding because that just happened Saturday night. But, but so, so they're trying to trap him now. They're saying this is what all the religious leaders have said. In the Old Testament, he, Moses permitted it, and yet you're saying that, that it's, it's more, much more narrow. What you're saying, Jesus, what you've taught, they've heard him previously, and we see that in the Matthew uh, 5 and other places previous to this. It seems unrealistic. It seems so ideal. It goes on. Look at what it says. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replies, they record that, watch this, from the beginning back to the future. We've got to go back to what God's ideal is if we're going to, in the future, experience in our families God's best. This is what Jesus says. They record from the beginning God made them male and female, and he's quoting, and it goes on, And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is one of the most quoted verses in the scripture, repeatedly quoted throughout the Bible. It's pretty interesting. It's about marriage. And so then he goes on and he says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This is what, as I'm a pastor and, and the pastor's on staff, when we officiate a wedding, that's the moment in which a man and a woman become husband and wife. There's an actual moment, and that's when, as a pastor, I put my hand on their right hands, joined together, and say these words. What God has joined together, let no man separate. They're no longer engaged. They're married at that moment. At that moment. Jesus is quoting this, and then he goes on and he says, they, they reply, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her on his way? Now watch what Jesus, Jesus said, this is what the ideal is. This is what the standard is. They asked, and Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Back to the future. We've got to go backwards and see what did God originally intend if we're going to go forward in the future and experience in our marriages and our families what God originally intended for them to be. And Jesus addresses it and he says, that's a concession because of the hard-heartedness of people. As I said last week, the Bible answers the why for every what you and I will ever face. That's what the scripture, it answers the why for every what you and I will ever face. And they're talking about the what and Jesus peels back the curtain and says, let's talk about the why. This is the ideal. And he actually goes on and you can read the rest of that. Uh, He has some other things to say about it, but it it seems like this is so un attainable doesn't it so ideal and you can almost I can almost imagine the the Pharisees when he replies like this is what God originally intended husband and wife no man separate them you can almost hear the thoughts I I, I imagine that sometimes the Pharisees and teachers of the law that are trying to trap him like 
you know, that's so unrealistic. That, that's so ancient. You know, who, who could ever live that way? Oh, and by the way, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now for all those that have been divorced? I mean, what are you going to do about it? And Jesus replying, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to lay my life down for them. And through sacrificing for them, I'm going to extend grace to them and mercy to them. I'm going to give them a fresh start. My Heavenly Father is going to forgive them because of my sacrifice that I took their place and I took their punishment. But it's not going to change what God originally intended. And then I'm going to fill them with my Holy Spirit when they receive me as their Savior so they can begin to live out afresh and anew the life in their marriages and their families that God originally intended. See, Jesus never backed off what God's ideal was, not for a moment, but he always extended grace to those who fell short of it. Not grace to keep falling short continually, but grace by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up again and to walk in the way that God wants us to. See, this is kind of brings us down to really the, the big question in this series, I think. As we look at some more of these scriptures as it applies to our families and, and our marriages, Will we embrace the ideal knowing that many of us have fallen short of it? Or will we lower the bar to a place that makes us feel comfortable so that we continue to perpetuate in our family and our children's children to come the same struggles and pain that we've experienced in this life? It's a big question. Will we aim our children towards a target that perhaps we have never hit personally ourselves? Or will we redefine what normal really is? And forget about what God's ideal really is. See, that's why this message is called Back to the Future. We've got to go back. We've got to look in the pages of scripture and discover what God says, this is what a marriage is supposed to look like. This is what a family is supposed to look like. Then we've got to take responsibility and recognize where we've fallen short and every one of us has. As I said before, please don't look at the Williamson family as any picture of perfection, because we're not. But as we look at the scripture together and realize where we've fallen short, recognize that that's why Jesus came and died. And he extends grace to you and me. And he extends mercy to you and me. Not so we can continue to stay down where we were, but where we can see the ideal and by the power of the Holy Spirit allow God to transform our lives 
to begin to experience life the way that God intended him to be lived. Jesus didn't leave us with much of an option. We can't lose sight of God's original ideal in spite of our cultural shifts and our own personal failures. It doesn't change what God's original plan was. It's still there. And it's still worth shooting for. And it's still worth aiming for. And when we fail, get back up. Thank God for his grace. And continue to shoot for the mark that he's given to us. I want to look at this last verse. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 I think is very appropriate for this message as we start this series in future family. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. See, we've got to go back if we're going to go forward in the future. And we've got to understand what God has revealed in his word to you and I about our marriages and our families. And we've got to trust him with all of our heart. Trust him with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. And only then can you and I experience the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ paying the price for my sins and yours and our families begin to be transformed and look a whole lot more like God intended for them. As I said before, you know what happened 2,000 years ago? Men and women just like you, just like me, despite what their culture around them said, took seriously the instructions of Scripture and their marriages began to change. Their families began to change. And their culture actually began to change because men and women just like you, just like me, took seriously God's word and lived it out and shot for the ideal as God originally intended it. And the world became a better place because of it. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this ideal in the context of a less than ideal world. And my hope is, by God's grace, be able to point to a better future for our families and for our marriages. We're going to try to make this really, really practical, put a handle on it each week that we can carry it with us and and live it out, flesh it out over the course of the week. And let me say this, if you're single, maybe this series will leave you with a brand new picture of what could be and what should be in the future that you don't have to settle for something less than that if it is God's plan in in your heart that you would be married one day. If you're in a family where the ideal seems so distorted and fractured out of reach, Let me just say this, you're in the majority, not the minority. You're with all the rest of us because none of us are perfect, therefore there is no perfect family. But also, just like the believers in the first century, each of us can embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ to his followers. And they embraced those unattainable truths and they clung to God's grace at the same time And their world and their lives were transformed by going back 
to the future and following God's playbook for life, his scripture. I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we recognize every one of us has stumbled. Lord, that, that your word gives us instruction that seems so unattainable, so ideal, and, and, and so far removed from anything that we could ever experience in our marriages, in our families. And yet, Lord, you haven't left us just kind of groping around trying to figure out the way. But Lord, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to show us the way, to pay the price for our sins on the cross, to sacrifice himself so that grace and mercy would be extended to each and every one of us. Not that we would continue in the wrong way, but that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would begin to stretch ourselves, allowing your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, that our marriages and our families would be transformed to look more like that ideal that you intended every marriage and every family to reflect your glory. Father, thank you. Give us courage as we look at your word, Lord, as we go back to the future, go back to the original ideal so that in the future our families can be transformed and even better than our marriages are today and our families are today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.